0: Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Universe Podcast Book Club, where we're talking about Darth Plagueis. Who is Palpatine, and how did he come to be part of the Sith? Why did Dooku turn his back on the Republic and on the Jedi? Who was Darth Plagueis, and what role did he have in the creation of Anakin Skywalker? We'll be looking at all these questions and more right after a commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. Once again, I'm joined for this episode of The Book Club by Brian V. Klein. Brian, how are we doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This is one of my favorite of the Star Wars books. I'm really excited for us to jump into it. I'm also excited because, uh, Brian, you and I have a great conversation, but one thing these uh, these last couple episodes I've done have really taught me is that, especially when we're doing this episode for people who, some of you may have read the book and loved it, Some of you may have not read the book and just want to like learn more about it and learn more about this part of the universe. It's really helpful for us to have someone on the podcast who hasn't played, who hasn't read the book, and can help be that voice of you know asking the questions and being with being with us on this journey as we explore what the book has to teach us about Star Wars in general. So, uh, playing that role today is going to be Paul Hoppy, a regular co-host on this and other podcasts I do. Paul, how are we doing today?
1: Oh, passable. I'm. uh... Ready to be the agent of chaos, or the um, <laughs> you know the one to keep you honest in terms of making sure that you're actually explaining what happens in a way that those of us who haven't read any Star Wars novels or this particular one um, can follow along.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I think I think that'll be good because as I said, the goal with these podcasts is if more people read the books, great because I think these are very enjoyable books. But more than anything. I love learning about these books for what they teach us about the larger canon. And I think it's totally cool if people want to, you know, they're not up for reading the book, but they want to listen to this podcast instead. Awesome. Because there's just so much more that it, that it introduces you to. Now As I... part of that, I, I do want to frame by saying, and Brian, I wonder if this is what you were about to jump in to say, because it's what uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners are about already halfway through writing an angry tweet about. <laughs> the book we're talking about today, Darth Plagueis, is not officially part of the Star Wars canon. Correct. It is part of the Star Wars Legends uh, group. But we talked before about how the legends are all of these books that were written before 1994, I'm sorry, before 2014, (laughs) that as part of Disney acquiring Star Wars and kind of restarting it with Force Awakens, they said, you know what, we're no longer going to hold that all those are canon. But one thing that's happened over the last couple of years is that more and more, we are seeing that the ideas of some of those books are seeping in more and more. Um, And we talked about for this book club that we are going to bring in some of those non-canon books. Especially ones where, I mean, there's no other existing canon that contradicts it because it still gives us a, I mean, the best, the closest thing to canon we have about some of these stories and certainly is likely things that are probably going to be inspiring or connected to the stories we get going forward. So for me, I think that's why it's important to talk about this book, especially because it is so foundational to Sidious and where he comes from and just filling in a lot of the gaps that we have leading into the Clone Wars movies. Um, and so, Brian, for you, what, where do you kind of stand on that in terms of like, uh, wh- why this, where this book falls in terms of being canon or legends, and 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 how it informs the rest of Star Wars for you?
2: Well, seeing as how when this came out, it was almost like decreed as being canon because until. Something comes around to, you know, negate this. This is pretty much the way that it, you would think it would go. Cause I mean, the story is so in depth with a lot of the details, especially with the way that it mirrors and, and leads into the, the, the prequels. So, I mean, if they don't ever touch anything with this, then this is fine because the book is so good and it, the, the characters developing and it is excellent.
0: Very true. Very true. And Paul, where, where are you coming from as we start this conversation? What do you know about this book going into what we're talking about today? I've,
1: I've heard a decent amount of, of uh, what sort of goes on in it. I, I mean, I have a uh-huh. friend um, who I, I lived with in Germany for a couple months, actually, who's super into all things Sith. Um, and I think Darth Bane is like more like his jam, but um, mm-hmm. he talked about this book. And so I got kind of an idea of that you know, from him. And then I've also watched some YouTube videos like during the Mandalorian, I ended up just watching a whole bunch of like star Wars, YouTube videos. Um, So, you know, I mean, I know what happens to him, Uh, right? (laughs) you know, and, and some of, some of the major plot points, but I I certainly don't know, um, you know, the majority of details as things go
0: along. Right. And just to give, uh, we'll give a plot summary in a few minutes, but just to give the quick, the quick overview for those who have no idea what we're talking about so far. The best way to ground it is that if you remember in Revenge of the Sith, Sidious is talking to Anakin and he says, do you know the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise? And he tells the story about this older Sith Lord who was trying to learn how to conquer death and may have even come very close, but then was of course killed by his apprentice in his sleep. Darth Plagueis is the book about that person, Darth Plagueis, hence the name, Um, and what the book tells us is that he was actually Sidious's uh, master himself. And so it's the story not only of this um, Sith Lord who experienced and explored the the role of life and death and the Force, but it also winds up being the story of how Sidious becomes a Sith Lord, how Palpatine becomes Sidious. And so it also gives us about 40 years of backstory about the Sith machinations that lead up to the events of the Phantom Menace. And so it also fills in a lot of gaps of, you know who was Count Dooku and why? uh, you know, helping to explain his role and and all the stuff leading up to the the fight on Naboo with the Trade Federation and things like that. So, so and for you, Brian, what when you think of this book? Like, obviously, it's a great book, but why why does it matter? How does it like help inform you and in your understanding of
2: this part of the Star Trek? You,
0: ugh, this part of the Star Wars universe.
2: Well, first off, this book originally was supposed to come out in. Late two thousand eight, it was on the schedule at uh, Delray, and that was a lot closer to the end of Revenge of the Sith. So it was that's that line when he talks about Darth Plagueis the Wise. It was you know still on people's minds, and then it got pushed back, so it didn't end up coming out until January of twenty twelve. So that was mm-hmm. almost three and a half years later. But the story itself, it does. It's basically, I mean, the story is broken up into three parts, which are three time periods and three distinct things. And once you get to the third part of it, it you can see everything walking its way into um, how it ties into The Phantom Menace. But even before right. that, the stuff going into, they, they do really well with bringing in characters that we learn... Later on in the story, but we have been introduced to before, like some of the um imperial dignitaries from Return of the Jedi and some other characters that were in mm-hmm. like Timothy Zahn's books. And so you see how these things these characters originally got, you know, involved in the galaxy far, far away, and it's 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 interesting like that. And James Lusino's always been good with being able to take characters or ideas that you really don't have any uh, backstory on and make them completely interesting once he starts, you know, getting into the meat of it.
0: Yeah. It, it feels like a, in a lot of ways, what I think I like most about the book is it feels like it's written by someone who watched the, who watched the prequels and then listened either to himself or to other people saying like, well, wait a minute, why does Count Dooku feel this way? Why mm-hmm. do the, 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 why does the trade federation care about what's happening in Naboo? Where does this mall guy come from? And says to themselves, okay, let me write a book to explain those things. Because it really, this book especially, I feel like, and it's part of why I I know it's not officially the canon, but it also is sort of very, it's in that kind of nebulous place of it, it's, there's nothing that's been written that contradicts it. And it's certainly a lot of it is being found more and more into the canon. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like it really helps to at least give a version of it that's a lot better than what we, we, we got originally, you know?
2: Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, especially because the first thing you see when the crawl for the Phantom Menace pops is the the trade routes have been taxed. The taxation of the trade routes, and you're when you're watching that originally back in '99, I'm like, what? That's <laughs> how is that Star Wars? And then you realize in this book it explains it and then you go oh it's, it's the third step in a three step process and it actually right. makes it pretty interesting I mean if it, tax acing of trade routes can be interesting <laughs> this book helps
0: hey listen some of us economics geeks we always want that kind of stuff but well, so Brian let me put you on the spot the way I like to do with these uh, can you give a plot summary we don't need every detail but give us the, the rough outline of what happens in this book okay um, so like I by just, the way spoilers Sidious uh, kills him Yes. Oh I was gonna <laughs> read the book and, um,
1: actually if I could just like interject one thing, please do um so like as a as somebody who's well not enjoyed all the movies but in, enjoyed at least parts of all of them and um that you know loved the original trilogy and a lot of um you know the animated series and and of course Mandalorian. Um, I'd say that the only Sith that ever seemed really compelling to me as a character was Vader. Mm -hmm. And Mm. so I guess my hope from these books would be that they make, like, Dooku kind of just seems like some guy who's evil and, like, apparently wasn't, but, like, that's just briefly referenced, right? And, like, Sidious seems like the, um, as I think you would say, the mustache twirliest mush (laughs) twash twirler whoever twirled a mustache um you know and like their names are all like bane and tenebris and you know plagueis and sidious and um (laughs) tyrannous you know like and dad i don't know but uh (laughs) but like you know i would hope that that these books kind of um make the them more characters than Um, sort of cartoonish villains that they can sometimes be, um, or or maybe maybe not cartoonish as much as just like you know, sort of one note, two, di-
0: two dimensional, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, and I would, Brian, before we get into the plot summary, I, I would curious your reaction to that as well. I think I think part of why I like this book so much as it does, mm-hmm. and frankly, I'd say that the the character it does it the most for for me is Count Dooku. Oh, okay. and, and we'll talk about the specifics of that. I, I I feel like one of the reasons why the prequels fail so thoroughly for me is that I just have no idea what the Separatists want or what Dooku wants. Yeah. And I feel like this book, A, it really... It, because the, the perspective that you get is of Sidious and, and Plagueis slowly corrupting Dooku. And and seeing who he is as a Jedi and why mm-hmm. he's dissatisfied, both as a, a member of the Republic and a member of the Jedi, to, to me is far and away one of the most compelling parts of the book. Cool.
1: Well, what happens then? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. That was, I was trying to set it back up. <laughs> there you
2: go. <laughs> so, like we said, this the book takes place. There's a 35 year span, 67 to 32 BBY. And the first part of it, it starts off with Higo Damask, who is the, the actual name of Darth Plagueis. Him and his master, Darth Tenebris, are on a planet looking for cartosis, which is like Beskar, back before Beskar was really introduced. <laughs> and they're on the planet, they're mining it, a, a pocket of gas. Uh, explodes, the cavern collapses and Plagueis sees this as an advantage, an opportunity to take out his master and basically he guides a boulder to fall and kill him and so that's basically what happens there uh, Plagueis goes about doing his stuff because he's a, uh, if you don't know what a Mune moon, moon is, it's one of the, the banking clan people from the uh, the prequels which are the, they got like the tall not cylindrical, but like long, narrow heads, so that if you can imagine what that looks like. So then he finds out that uh, Tenebris had another student called Darth Venomous, who he ends up uh, basically fighting and putting him in a coma because Darth Plagueis' main goal is to A, bring down the rule of two, bring back the Sith, and also learn how to cheat death. So that's what he starts doing there. Um, As his dealings, because he's the the Magistar of the banking clan, takes him to Naboo to help them with some, they found some plasma or something. But when he was at Naboo, he he senses Palpatine and he befriends him and he starts manipulating Palpatine and gets Palpatine to kill his parents and uh crash the the spaceship and stuff like that. And then Palpatine <laughs> takes, Plagueis takes Palpatine out as his apprentice. So then we jump 10 years and then Palpatine is go through his training and at the same time he's climbing the political ladder. In order to learn more about the Sith that Plagueis is not teaching him, he goes to Dathomir, where a, a Zabrak or a Dathomirian woman gives him an infant Zabrak whose name is Maul, who ends up becoming Darth Maul. So he sends him to Mustafar to train. Uh, Plagueis is looking more about into the cloning to figure out how to, you know, basically. He, 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 there's so much machinations between the stuff you sort of see in the prequels with the banking clans and the Trade Federation and the Techno Union and all this. So he goes to Camino to get that part set up. Uh, Plagueis gets maimed in an attack, and then that's the end of the second act. And then the third act, it's two decades later. It's pretty much like two years before The Phantom Menace. Um, Palpatine befriends Dooku at some... I've got There was a, there's a lot of the, the, the characters from the prequels come into it.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: uh, there's also Jedi, uh, Sifo-Dyas is there who Plagueis pretty much convinces him that the Republic is falling and he sends Sifo-Dyas to Camino to procure the Cologne army in the name of the Jedi, but paid for by Plagueis and the banking clan. And this is about the time of the book where it starts lining up with the Phantom Menace with, uh, Padme getting elected queen and, um, they learn of Anakin who, they, from the time frame of it, that's when they realize it's like, oh crap, was this created by Plagueis, or was this created by the Force as a um, as a response to Plagueis trying to create life by the Force? And then, anyways, it, it crescends with Palpatine killing Plagueis right when he got elected uh, Chancellor, and then the last scene is him sitting down with uh, Anakin and Duco pretty much laying out the plans of the rest of the prequels.
0: Right, and a couple of the key points here, I think, and we'll, we'll go more into each one of these characters, then Paul, I'm sure this may be incredibly confusing to ask any questions you have on behalf of the audience, but a couple of the key points here is one is that we get Palpatine is basically is the sort of like frustrated son of nobility, who <laughs> has these abilities of the Force, no one quite understands it, everyone's afraid of him, it's very much kind of like, you know, the, the young mutant from X-Men or whatever mm-hmm. it is, like the person with powers. But the Jedi and,
1: haven't like come to grab him or something
0: right because in right. part because he's quite good at hiding them oh, and okay. he um and and part of it is that like the 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 jedi are fading in their ability to find these things is that mm-hmm. one of the ideas of the story and so that he is that kind of like the frustrated child of nobility who want who has all the sense of entitlement and play just is able to 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 fix on that and and to push that forward and then with dooku the story is that one of the things that we we get and again it's kind of this through second and third hand but the idea that as the Republic is having more and more trouble, in part because there's all this political machinations, as as he was saying, uh, out on the rim among planets like the Trade Federation and the Banking Clan and the Techno Union, and the Jedi are being sent more and more into situations where they really aren't trained to deal with them, and Jedi, Jedi are being killed because of it, mm-hmm. and including some some Jedi who Dooku cared quite a bit about.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of, and, old, uh, one of his old one of his old
0: Padawans, right. And so Dooku is seeing Jedi be killed because of the failures of the Republic. He's seeing the Republic interfere with planets that he thinks they shouldn't be interfering with. He's feeling like the Jedi are not using their power the way that they should. And and then there's just this wonderful set of conversations over the course of the book between Palpatine and Dooku of, of just Palpatine slowly, you know, in the same way you see in Revenge of the Sith between him and Anakin, you know, slowly baiting the hook and slowly encouraging him and... You know, the, the moments where he, nothing could have been done, but if, you know, till, till by the end, um, Dooku is sort of out, you know, speculating, like, maybe there are some things the dark side can teach us. The Jedi won't allow. And I'm leaving the, the Jedi to explore that. And mm-hmm. e- even in the book, you can sort of see the wheels in Sidious's head being like, I, and he says something like, I think eventually you will find your way to a dark side practitioner. Um, You know, of course, he's sitting right there.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, there oh, was, so there Dooku- was, like, there was. Dooku doesn't know that Sidious is Sidious. He's talking to Palpatine in his eyes. Oh, yeah, correct. I, I,
0: I think correct. by the very end, it you could imply that Dooku is starting to suspect. Sure, and that they're both kind of starting to dance slowly towards. You know, it's that kind mm-hmm. of like. I'll show you yours if you show you show me mine. But, yeah. The seed, the seed, the seed was definitely this, yeah. Funny, the yeah. seed was
2: definitely planted with that last conversation where Dooku tells him that he's leaving the Order and uh, mm-hmm. the whole Sith thing, and he just he doesn't quite tell him, but he's like, well, yeah, like you said, one day you'll meet him and. Uh, just because he goes, he, he he wants to learn the ideology because it fits more in line with what he figures he wants to do to get the galaxy back to the way it was instead of this dogmatic view that the uh, the Jedi are taking. Right.
1: But what does that look like in terms of the the sort of galaxy being the way he wants it? Is that, like, clear? Like, is that sort of what the separatist thing is about?
0: It is somewhat. I think one part of it is, like, no longer using the Jedi to interfere with things. One part of it is there is an element of, you know, I just want someone to make the trains run on time. Mm-hmm. Um, part of and, and here's again where the the Sith plot becomes so ingenious because what Plate as, as Brian mentioned, Plagis is you know in charge of these long large financial institutions, and they're doing a lot to basically buy senators and, and there's incredible corruption in the Republic. And that's a big part of what Dooku was so frustrated by. Okay. That that democracy is, I mean, it, in many ways, it's written some years ago, but it very much um, predicates sort of the, the, the Tea Party kind of rhetoric and things like that of people being, you know, having very legitimate frustrations about, you know, governments being controlled by economic forces. And thus, thinking like if only some strong person was in charge and things like that, right? Because that'll Um, fix
1: the problem of too many people having too much power (laughs) or too few people having too much power. Yeah,
0: (laughs) exactly. Well, and I think part of what Dooku does is there is this idea of like, but if only the enlightened ones were in charge, you know. He does definitely seem to have uh, that that kind
2: of idea. They basically want to break it down and then build it back up from scratch in the the way it used to be, which to them it's like. Yeah, even like cuz they they really don't explain that because it's sort of you don't know what it used to be, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's basically yeah, there's so much corruption and manipulation that they see, but it's mainly done by the main guys. It's like uh Plagueis and Sidious are doing most of it. They're playing they're playing people against themselves. They're manip- I mean, like you saw in the prequels, it ends up being two people, two sides fighting against each other run by the same side. Yeah. For a common goal, which at the end, it makes the people that the big bad look like the, you know, the Empire is now the the savior of the galaxy when no, that was what they wanted the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: And explains all that, why that came to fruition and, and how long it had been planned and just the, you know, the the minutia of the details to get there was actually pretty yeah. fascinating.
0: One one thing I think is also an important part is that uh, obviously he's Count Dooku at the time that we know him. Right. As a Jedi, he is just Jedi Master Duku, but the idea is that he he chose to give up his ability to you know he gave up his hereditary claim to the Count. Uh, what's the name of the planet that he's from? It's with Sereno. X. Sereno, yeah, he's supposed to be the Count of Sereno. He gives up his hereditary claim, and and so part of the temptation that he has is to go and take back that power. Right. And I think that's one other interesting part of his character is that he has this. Family claim and a family line that he never really lets go of. So, I, what I was gonna say is, we could sort of sh- switch into going kind of character by character, and I think Do- Dooku is one of the one of the first ones. And since we're only really kind of pretty deep on Dooku, let's just kind of keep pushing there. <laughs> deep, I, deep, <clears throat> deep Dooku. Oh god. Um, but so he's what, got
1: this tension between like political power and like Jedi power, kind of. It almost to me like sounds sort of like Leia in the sequel trilogy, mm-hmm. sort of having that decision to make between like wanting to be a Jedi or wanting to be a political figure. Does does that kind of?
2: Dooku basically no. thinks that he, the the Jedi are being misused by the Jedi Council to mm. be the enforcers of the the, the whole Republic. Which you see right. more in the prequels. I mean, they even get to the points where they're doing the um, re-election campaigns, which you, they they deal with a bit in the Phantom Menace. And whenever they show Chancellor Valorum, there's they always mention that there's Yoda with him and there's Mace Windu with him, and he the Jedi are always right. with the Chancellor, which makes it look even worse that yes, these Jedi are pretty much like the, the political, you know, enforcers that they shouldn't be, but that's that was put there through the manipulations of. Uh, Plagueis and uh, insidious.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to put it. I, I I think the connection you make to Leia is a good one, and that's one that I actually really want us to explore when we look at those later movies of Leia kind of making this conscious decision. At least as I understood understood it, not to focus on being a Jedi as much as to focus on the political and the military side. I I think Dooku is really a purist in a lot of ways, and he some of those interesting conversations in the in the book also are where Sidious, Dooku, and Qui-Gon Jinn are all talking. Because not as much, but we also learn a bit more about Qui-Gon Jinn and how he was very much also kind of a rebel. And he's someone who we learn more about as well in some of the other books that are very clearly referenced in this. Brian, can you talk a little bit more about Qui-Gon Jinn and sort of what this book shows us about him and where he stands and all these kind of questions we're talking about?
2: Um. To me, I think Qui Gon pretty much dissolidified, like the character you see in the movie, mm-hmm. where he has a uh, with the the living force being the thing that encapsulates everything is still kind of very. That looked down upon by the uh, the Jedi because I think Dooku even says that when they're talking about Qui Gon and he's like, yeah, he's still what he wants to do is this, and but what he actually is thinking to do and is the with the Living Force, and so. uh, But I think with, I mean, for as much what's, as he was in there, uh, Paul, what you gonna ask?
1: What's that like? What's the distinction between the Living Force and whatever else they would be doing?
2: The Living Force is sort of like the 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 his viewpoint he had like in the Phantom Menace where. uh, Everything's in motion. You can control everything around you if you have the you know, the 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 ability to do it and everything works in um concert with each other, whereas like the unifying force is almost like the whole uh the prophecy and they, those guys lean too much on stuff that was predicted before and that it's sort of oh, okay. you have no uh you have no your your destiny is already set for you. And
0: I, I think one of the ideas of a living force is that it almost has not necessarily a sentience of its own but kind of a will and the idea of like that there that it's something you can you know qui-gon seems this whole idea of that the the child was brought to him and that he's meant to train the child and things like that uh one thing that the book kind of goes into and i it's interesting, apparently some other versions of the book originally would have and then were left on the cutting room floor but is kind of um putting a uh, a mirror of Plagueis, who's trying very hard to learn how to use the Force to extend life, and Qui-Gon, who's in his own way, in a much more mystical way, also trying to understand how to use the Force to to exist beyond death. And right. that um, the the ability of Obi-Wan to come back and, you know, basically to Force Ghost is things that Qui-Gon basically discovers how to Force Ghost because mm-hmm. he's exploring this idea of the living Force. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And if they hadn't had that be a plot point here, then it would be like, why aren't there like 100,000 like Force Ghost Jedi all the time roaming around?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Mes- that idea of why this is kind of a, a new thing the Jedi right. can do. Okay. They
2: only, they had some of that in a, like a deleted scene from Revenge of the Sith where Yoda talks to um, Obi-Wan on the uh, the ship after giving you know when they talk about on the blockade runner he's like mm-hmm. i got a i got a lesson for you to do i've learned to commute with uh oh, right. an old student but other yeah. than that it's just sort of like how it became about and then all of a sudden by you know the the sequels they're all you know they're all over the place <laughs>
0: right and i think in um in clone wars we do see quite we see yoda it's yeah, referenced yeah right it, it's yoda learns from qui-gon Jinn. qui-gon mm-hmm. jin talks mm-hmm. to him in that way yeah The other thing I think that's important is also, it's much more about Dooku, but Sifo is mentioned a little bit here as well. And that he especially is very upset about the death of the Jedi. And so I think that also helps to understand a little more why Sifo might have been the one who was okay with the creation of the army. Because Sifo like Dooku, like both of them, but especially Sifo is really into the idea of like, you know, it's almost kind of like the, the police need to be more militarized kind of a thing. There's right. very much of that, like, we're dying, we're, the people don't have the respect for us they used to do, we need to be ready to fight back.
2: Right, because I even mentioned a couple times that the, the Jedi don't number the the amount that everyone thinks there is, that they can be an army of themselves. You know, you right. can't send two Jedi to a planet and expect them to defend against, you know, 100 spaceships, yeah. but... <laughs> if you had an army, but that goes against some accord that they made where the, the Republic can't have their own army, but these, these, uh, planets that end up becoming part of the separatists start getting their own, start becoming militarized and creating their own army. And I think at one point they were saying that the chancellor was getting, uh, hiring like mercenaries and cell swords pretty much to go take care of oh, stuff. Yeah. And it's like, man, if your government has to, you know, drop to that, then you're, and in for a world of hurt
0: one thing i thought was interesting is it's just this one throwaway line but there's this implication that the trade federation has this droid army because that's kind of a loophole of how to get away from the idea that you're not supposed to have these like armies of people ready to fight for you mm-hmm. and so that was just kind of a cool little thing um Brian, is there anything else about Dooku that we wanted to... We can go so deep on all these characters, but either... Um, is there anything else you want to ask, talk about, or, Paul, you want to ask about Dooku before we move on to kind of the next big character?
2: Not really. I mean, it, it just explains that really the character you see, because you really only see him in Attack of the Clones, mm-hmm. is that he's... I mean, he's... I think he was... He became a Sith because of the ideology, not because of the things that you normally associate a sith with so at the end of the day he was just doing it because it was the means to the end of getting to uh you know a a better galaxy whereas most of the time you think a sith it's just the you know the the ultimate power and the you know yeah he he doesn't have go ahead paul
1: he kind of did it for the reason that palpatine pretends he's doing everything Pretty much, yeah. Sort yeah of. He doesn't.
0: He doesn't have a moment of like he's holding back his emotions and they all come flooding out. It's not right. rage and anger. I think it's much more about. There's a moment in, uh, the, the fourth season of the clone. Sorry, the third season of the Clone Wars that I really love, where at that point Captain Tarkin is talking to Anakin yeah. about how mm-hmm. the 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 Republic is losing the Clone War, in in the Clone Wars in part because the Jedi sort of, you know, they fight with one hand tied behind their back. They try to fight with honor instead of just fighting to win.
1: Yeah,
0: And I think Dooku, it's it's kind of like that. It's the, you know, I think the comparison you just made is perfect. What Sidious says about, well, but there's things that the Force can do that a Jedi won't tell you, a Jedi will tell you are are unnatural. Dooku is kind of like, let's go explore the unnatural stuff. You know, it's almost, he's just, is this curiosity as well as this, I think, just a sense of, He's just so jaded. He he feels so cynical and jaded about the Jedi that he's like, well, you know, it's kind of like that person who's been raised in a religion. Very, very, like, hardcore. Mm-hmm. And then the first time they're like, wait, maybe this isn't true. Okay, let, let me go do all the cool things the church told me all the time I shouldn't do because, like, screw them. Right, I think that's right. very much where Dooku is.
2: Isn't that, isn't that called Rumspringa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> pretty much
1: um i mean that from what i understand in the legends canon um luke kind of like uses whatever powers and sort of has a little bit of that mentality of like that something isn't necessarily like good or bad or light or dark it's like how you use it and it i don't know it sounds like a little similar except that dooku wanted to make the world fascist again or something <laughs> even if he didn't see that that way the the, the thing though that, that, that seems odd to me is that if there weren't these big armies then it, it like this idea of the entire galaxy being in war must have been kind of like super unusual like a big aberration
0: yeah well, i think that's definitely the case i think the idea uh, until this point there were lots of little Bo- like border like skirmishes like battles
2: between right sure
0: right but the idea of there being this like galactic war was pretty much unheard of
2: hmm. yeah the last time they had it was however long ago i think it was like probably 7 800 years ago and that's when they uh, it was the Rusan reformation where they basically said they they cut out the galactic army so the army didn't have that ability to just go and basically impose their will on people right. or planets that they they at at their whim so right um, i still don't understand how there was never any question in Attack of the Clones when all of a sudden they show up with a million yeah. clones and they're like, wait a second, where did all these come from? Seriously, ask a couple right. more questions.
0: Yeah, yeah it's like, oh, we got all these clones. Uh, let's do a war, guys. Yeah. <laughs> that part is still not quite explained as much, but at least we get some idea of where it comes from. We'll ask but... about it
2: after we win, you know. Okay. Yeah. yeah,
1: right. So uh, I guess the last Dooku question I would have is, is just in terms of uh, time frame. So mm-hmm. this whole book takes place before like it ends around the phantom menace is that correct it so literally I, yeah
0: it ends right not.
2: when like it
0: ends it, it ends during the phantom menace like the right. last the last chapter is happening the night before the election that makes that makes um, makes palpatine right Chancellor. and then the, the, there's actually a wonderful moment where you learn that um just about the moment that Plagueis dies um is this is almost the exact same moment that darth maul is killed or we think is killed Um, right
1: right right is is behaved or yeah be be be, be
0: sected as it's referred (laughs) to in one um uh uh text of of uh, an episode so yeah so it's and it's it's, it is also kind of fun to get to watch like you know plagius and sidious are talking to every time like sidious turns off the communicator with the neomodians you now have plagius and sidious talking to each other about like Oh no, this Gungan army is marching on Naboo. on Feed. Do we care about that? That kind of thing. So it's fun to see that whole thing play out from their perspective.
1: Right. Sort of, sort of like how the um season seven of the Clone Wars intersects with Revenge of the Sith.
0: Yeah, yeah. very much so. Yeah. Very much so.
1: Um so so then Dooku is he's not he's left the Jedi like a couple years before the end of this book. But he's
2: not no, a no, Sith. he left the he left the the Jedi Years. like at at he basically yeah. leaves the Jedi in Phantom Menace or right it, before. Oh, that. okay. It's okay. the death of Qui Gon Jinn
0: that is the last straw for him oh. because one of the things that the book goes into is that it, if you remember the um the opening scroll of Phantom Menace says without any explanation the Chancellor has secretly deployed two Jedi to try and solve the problem. Right. It turned (laughs) out, actually, that because of stuff that's happened in the past, all Mm -hmm. that Plagius and Sidious had orchestrated, the Chancellor wasn't supposed to do that anymore.
1: Right. And so to Dooku,
0: the fact that the Chancellor did it again, and that Qui-Gon, who was kind of, like, his favorite student because they argued all the time, like, he loved him, even though he, you know, was, like... Qui-Gon
1: was Dooku's Padawan?
0: Yes. Correct. Okay. Which is part of why Obi-Wan feels connected to him. I see. Um... But uh yeah, it's it's Qui-Gon's death that is for um Dooku, mm. the final well, I'm sorry, actually, it's two things. It's it's that, and it's the fact that they are agreeing to train Anakin. Because right. Dooku, kind of like Yoda, just from a very different perspective, also thinks training Anakin is a horrible idea.
2: Right.
0: So, obviously there's so much more we could go into with Dooku there, but I think this is a good time to switch to Sidious. Um let's talk more about Sidious. Obviously, he's the a main player in all the Star Wars movies. Um and I just Brian what, what what's your take on what we learn about uh Sheev Palpatine and Insidious in this because I just love getting to see more of his backstory and I mean he's still a huge mustache twirler in the original movies, but at least now we know so much more about where he comes from and why.
2: Okay, well first off, I will never utter his first name. <laughs> even, though, even though the same author, James Luceno, was the one that gave him that first name in the Tarkin book, which is Canon, I always thought that was because they, they make a point in this book why he calls himself Palpatine. He's he's true, eschewed yeah. his his first name for his family name, even though he feels like an outsider because his the the, the his whole family is uh a political power, and and he's in a private school, and he's got a, a a rich upbringing and stuff like that. But he really wants to do. Actually, I mean, at first his he was almost like a when they show him as a youngster. When he, I think when we first introduced him, he's like sixteen or seventeen, and he's mm-hmm. an he's a he's an idealist. He he has ideas for how he wants to help p- people and fix things, but at that same time, he also has this. Power that no one knows about, and right. you know, just to get before one of the final things at the end when we find out that the whole time where Plagueis is manipulating Palpatine, Palpatine is manipulating Plagueis this whole time too, because he explains that on his deathbed, all these little things that he thought he was being manipulated by, he was actually manipulating Plagueis. To, to it's like a like a double manipulation type thing.
0: Yeah. It's so. also, I think, a great case of an unreliable narrator, because I think certainly we're supposed to believe that Palpatine believed he was manipulating Plagueis the whole time. Right. And the question of right. who actually was manipulating who, I think, is somewhat left up to the reader, which I which I really like, because I think that that makes – you know, it's often very hard to be like, did I plant that idea for you? Did you want me to plant that idea for you? Like, I can I can always tell myself that I manipulated everybody into doing everything around me. Like, anyway, you know right. – um, the the
2: If the end result is what you – wanted then it seems like that it was all your doing to get there anyway
0: right right but why did you want that to begin with you know it just can go right. deep and deep and deep but but yeah I, I think i think you're right i i think it's just really interesting to learn where he comes from in that regard and that he has this a huge chip on his shoulder in a lot of ways about who his identity is about when anything it feels like he wants to be able to claim his own path and i think one thing i like so much about him is that the relationship between the two of them really highlights what is this weird paradox at the heart of the sith which is that the whole idea of the sith is complete radical fr- i mean they are like you know anarcho-libertarians to the absolute nth degree you know like no one should ever get to tell me what to do
1: except
0: and the only way that no one will ever tell me what to do is if i get to tell all of them what to do um you know so it's like and and, and there's this very strong idea from Plagius of, like, I will let you be in total control of yourself if you are utterly my slave first. And and the, the conflict of that within Palpatine is a big part of, I think, what drives him.
2: Oh, like definitely. That he
0: wants all the things that Plagius says the dark side offers, but that to, the path to get there is almost the exact opposite of everything he wants.
2: Right. And he uh, he does feel stifled a bit by it because they... that's what this book does a lot where the first part ends and then there's two big time jumps and all of a sudden after he starts training him you find out that he's basically because there's those scenes where it's like he puts him on a planet and he's like your goal here is to literally survive and if you don't use the the Sith's power to uh, survive and keep yourself warm you will die there's no doubt about that so Mm -hmm. he's putting him basically through the worst like basic training you could possibly think of for like (laughs) 10 years So, as a, but in that same sense, Sidious is also feeling he's being, you know, shortchanged the training, which is why he goes to Dathomir, where he gets basically given Maul to take care of. Which was just like okay, that seemed kind of convenient, but then again, the force works in a way where they probably sent him there because they were talking about he went to Dathomir because of the uh, the witches and stuff like that, yeah. and he could figure he could learn more from them about different because that was the thing. Uh, Plagueis kept mentioning to Palpatine that you can't rely on holocrons because that was from just the perspective of that one Sith, and a lot of Ho- Sith have holocrons. So many- those
0: who don't know are, are kind of like. Um- they're, they're kind of like living textbooks where a Sith Lord would imbue a part of themselves into it. So someone could find it, they could like... Or Jedi, com- right. Yeah, or Jedi. Yeah. Could commune with this thing and like learn from it. But yeah, as you're right, it, it's very limited because it's it's not, it, you know, it, it is from a very particular subjective perspective.
2: Right. And when it comes to Sith ideology, it's just there's such a wide gamut of it that something that is, you know, gospel to one person to the next person is to be like, no... Not even close right. to that. This is what we want, which is, you know, an utter, a setup for them to utterly fail anyway. But I mean, that's why the Sith in the old didn't work when you had 10,000s of them because everyone wanted to be in power. So they ended up basically, you know, wiping mm-hmm. themselves out or at least Bane it. So.
0: Right. They were all backstabbing each other. And, and yeah, and, that, and that's, I, I say one thing I think that the, I really like getting to see two Sith Lords interacting with each other throughout the book and Plagueis and Plagueis and Sidious, because Mm -hmm. a, you see that you have two very different approaches to the Sith, you know, Palpatine wants political power. He, and Plagueis wants him to have that, but he's much more like you get to a point where you're sort of unsure is Plagueis more interested in figuring out how to tear down the Jedi or in figuring out how to live forever. And and he seems to be interested in both, but the second one, especially in the, in the middle half, later half of the book, really kind of is everything he's focused on: his research into living beyond death and using the force to live beyond death. And and you can see that Sidious is frustrated by it because he care. He's more about the dark side for political power. And I like that we get to see like that you can be a Sith Lord and have a whole wide range of motivations, and and there'll be
2: conflicts because of that. And one other cool thing that they, they brought up, which didn't come to fruition, is that part of this whole process at the end was to make uh, Higo de Masque, which is Plagueis, Palpatine was supposed to make him the co-chancellor so they could both rule together that way so they would actually be hiding in plain sight and once he got elected he was just like yeah I don't need you and that's when he killed him so Plagueis (laughs) did have political aspirations in that sense but he was piggybacking onto it so it wasn't like he was just I mean he was focused I mean his main focus was with all the that's another thing he's got a planet and a a lair pretty much that is just like uh, um, the island of Dr. Moreau gone wild (laughs)
0: For anybody who's played Vampire the Masquerade, Plagius is 100% of the Sombra. Like that's exactly the kind of role he, he
1: I, I was thinking uh, Tenebris was more likely to be with of Tenebration, yeah. but <laughs> Also possible, yeah. I mean, they they're they're from the same clan in some ways. But. Tenebris is
0: kind of like scientist Sith. He's a kind of a oh, okay. really fascinating like he's all about like mathematical formulas and and how calc- He's almost kind of a um, Order of Hermes uh, to take the White Wolf game right. in a force way too far. Although it sounds kind
1: of "Son of Ether," "Son of Ether."
0: One thing I think I also really like... no, the Hermes because it's all about, yeah, I guess. I was going to make
1: a Menzo Baranzan reference earlier, so (laughs) now
0: now I'm. With regard
1: to the Sith,
0: (laughs) the thing, other thing I think is really interesting, and again, it helps fill in a plot hole, is one of the things that Plagueis is interested in, and Sidious sort of is, but sort of isn't, is saying that we no longer need the rule of two, which is both part of the idea is that we're getting to a point where the Sith are going to take over and so they don't have to hide anymore. Mm-hmm. But it also is a very nice way of fixing a plot hole, which is that they kind of have yeah. the rule of two and then they're oh, kept yeah. being more and more and more and more. <laughs> yeah. And so it's nice that they're sort of like, nope, that wasn't a plot hole. Okay, There's okay. a reason why the Death Star is so easy to blow up if you right. know the plans, you exactly. know? Like-
2: well, and that thing too is that they never really, it's, it's the whole Star Wars certain point of view thing because when... When uh, Plagueis kills Tenebris and then he, then he finds Venomous, which was he in, he gave himself the Darth title, but he's like, no, there's only two of us. But he still wanted him. He goes, yeah, we're going to break it down. But you could also have, you know, someone as like an assassin, sort of like how Dooku had Ventress. Yeah.
1: Uh, right. Plagueis
2: knew that Palpatine had Maul.
1: But he was training
2: him to do his dirty work and stuff like that, not realizing he was grooming him to take over, because, you know, the whole Sith thing is, one to have the power, the other to crave it, and the only way you succeed as the apprentice is to kill the Master.
0: Right. And that part of what the Master is supposed to do, therefore, is to kind of have multiple apprentices all kind of competing with each other to be the one true apprentice. Um, The rule
1: of two plus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's kind of fun is, is at one point you're getting inside Sidious's head, and as he's recruiting Dooku, he's already met Anakin. And mm-hmm. he knows from the beginning, right, Anakin right. is, like, endgame. You know, mm-hmm. Dooku is, like, I- I'm going to date you, I'm not going to marry you. <laughs> it's right. very clear. he like. <laughs> I think he, he describes at one point Dooku as a placeholder. You know, like yeah, Dooku exactly. will be a good apprentice, in part because Dooku will be the one who Anakin can kill to kind of cement right. his role. Yeah. Um, and it's fun, too, because early on, Plagueis and... Uh, Plagueis and Sidious both think that the worst thing that could happen is for the Jedi to train Anakin. Um, Plagueis especially, and here's The where worst you get... thing
1: for the Jedi. Or no, the, the worst thing the, for them.
0: The worst thing for them is if they is if the Jedi train Anakin. Oh, okay. One of the things I think that's really interesting is that in some ways, Sidious is a hmm, forgive me. Sidious is a little more insidious. Um, yes. He he has like Plagueis wants um, to train a clone army to fight the Jedi. And then Sidious is the one to suggest, wait a minute, what if we make the Jedi in charge of the clone army? How much mm-hmm. will it screw with them? Right. And in the same way, I think Plagueis thinks that for the Jedi to train Anakin would be a disaster. And that's part of why Maul gets sent to try and kill kill them. Until and it's Sidious who realizes that the and there's this great like closing monologue that really just lays out everything that happens in, in the prequels. Sidious realizes that he that he already can sense the anger in Anakin, the, right. the fact that Anakin's hiding things from Obi Wan, even at eight years old. Yeah. Um, there's a fun scene where uh Palpatine asks Anakin about his mother, and Obi-Wan says, no, 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 he's not allowed to think about his mother. Where there's no more attachments. And, oh, Obi-Wan. And Palpatine can sense dumb the father. fury within like eight year old Anakin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. It's so dumb. But like. And it's just a brilliant thing of him realizing like actually the best way to make sure that Anakin doesn't become a Jedi is to it's... give him to the Jedi for like 10 right. years.
2: Right, 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 right. Let him do all the hard, let them do all the let them, the hard part yeah. of it.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, show him firsthand like why they're not what they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So, so I have everything. two questions then. Go for it. Um, one is very specific, Revenge of the Siffy, where it is, it is, okay. Um, Where Anakin's about to kill Dooku, and Dooku's there, and Sidious is there, and Dooku's not like, hey, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Like, is there much um, light shed on that? Like, why he doesn't give him up, basically? Not at all. Okay.
2: Not in this book, yeah. I mean, they, they really don't even talk about that. It, that was always right, sort of like a, like a, yeah, like, look at him like, wait, what do you, because Dooku even gives Palpatine that look in the movie like, wait, what are you telling him to He's like, this? bro. Wait, stop. I thought this was all right. We get the three of us here now. We're good. He's like, right. nah. I, I think it's, I,
0: I think the answer is because he just doesn't have time because he thinks mm-hmm. up until that last moment that, yeah. you know, especially because serious. there is this implication that the rule of two is broken, that it's right. going to be a nice, happy family of Dooku anakin and um palpatine and then when palpatine goes kill him duke goes like what, what? and then he's dead um yeah. mm.
1: okay but I don't yeah. buy it, but I buy it. I buy yeah. it as a as a sufficient substan- as a sufficient head ink. That's um, fair, yeah. But it 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 uh, it's in the same category as Mace Windu taking the big backswing.
0: Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> to be
2: Leave like, oh, hey, Anakin, open.
1: could you chop my hand off before I uh, manage to bring my lightsaber down on Sidious?
2: And I'll even hold it here for you too. So. Right. <laughs> um,
1: and then the second question, which is less specific and and more, um, well, it's just does Does the book make Sidious feel not just like kind of understandable but like does it make him relatable do th- does it seek to do that
2: I think it... hmm I'm trying to think because basically, I mean, if you if you were to name this book, the first two chapters were definitely Darth Plagueis. The third chapter, the third part, was a lot more focused on Sidious. That's when they started yeah. giving him the, right. the 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 narrator perspective of it. Okay. You get to you get to learn more about him and his. Um, basically, he does have these. This was all planned out between the two of them, but a lot of it was they were they were Plagueis and Sidious did you know argue a lot about stuff. Right. And just the way that they wanted to get to the endpoint, it it makes it makes Palpatine seem a lot more of a sinister and like like a credible threat because he is a master manipulator. Like he'll he just won't you know shoot you to death with force lightning, but he can sit there and make make you do stuff. And make, I mean that's how we pretty much got Anakin to become yeah. Anakin, you know, become right. Vader.
0: And I think I think S- to answer your question, it. It's hard to say because of the, the sort of final reveal play, that Palpatine does about how he's been in building Plagueis the whole time. I think right. the the character that Palpatine presents himself to Plagueis as is very much relatable, I think. Because he's, I mean, one thing you find out is basically like, think of the story of like the 17-year-old boy who's angry at his dad. And then along comes someone else who's like, oh, you're angry at your dad? You should kill him. I'll help you hide your body. Like I'll help you like that. Like Right, right. That's kind of like a, a villain origin story where you're both like, "Wow, this is a monster, but I also feel bad for this very like fucked up kid who this awful person came along and turned into a monster." Right. And I think that version of Plagueis of Palpatine Oops. is very relatable.
1: Okay.
0: Towards like the end,
1: Pinish, like
0: um not, quite, not good, quite that much because he's not like an abused kid, but he there okay. is definitely a sense. More, it's like you know, Dad, can I borrow the keys to the car? No, I'm pissed at you. Now I'm going to kill you, kind of thing.
1: Oh yeah, um, okay, well, <laughs> not,
2: well, the, not the, the quite scene, like the scene they show. Okay, so basically, in the in the first part of it, Plagueis and Palpatine start a friendship. He's in the youth, pro, like the youth program, and. Plagueis or Palpatine's dad wants nothing to do with those two being together because he thinks he's a bad influence on them. <laughs> Not so, totally it, wrong. Just, no, exactly. Just got to
1: stick up for the dad here on that. Okay. But
2: the scene where they're on their starship and Palpatine basically just unleashes hell and kills his whole family right. is sort of a uh, reaction to. Him and his dad having this big blowout because he wants to take him off the the, the planet and t- send him somewhere else to go under a different advisor and stuff like that. And he's like, stop trying to run my life. And so right. when they're on that spaceship, which was all manipulated by putting them seeing uh, Plagueis did it. And then when he comes back, the first thing Palpatine does is contacts Plagueis and be like, it's almost like the uh, um, Anakin coming to Padme and be like, what have I done? Yeah. Right. And uh, he puts him in. He basically says, here, wait for me to come and get you and we'll figure this all out. And but I mean, yeah, he basically kills everyone in his family.
0: Yeah. And, and so I guess the way I would answer your question, Paul, is, again, it goes to the kind of question of how how relatable a narrator Palpatine is, because if How Palpatine, reliable? reliable.
1: Yeah. How reliable. Yeah. Well, okay. well,
0: yeah. How reliable affects how relatable is sort of, <laughs> because basically if he is reliable, and he is correct that he was always in control; he was never being manipulated. Then I feel like he's just such a force of evil that it's—I don't feel much sympathy or okay. relation to him. The, the version of it that I—I I read though, and Brian, I'm curious if you saw it very differently—is, you know, I've definitely seen situations. I've done this. I've known lots of people who do this. Who, it's very easy to headcanon your own story and come up with like, no, I—I I was never being manipulated. I always wanted to do that, I, and. In some ways, the way that Sidious is, is after all the things Play just does to him, I, I can understand Sidious kind of telling himself that story. And so in that regard, I very much can find him a, not sympathetic, but relatable character of that, like, he was treated these horrible ways, he's become this horrible person, and he's telling himself this story about how he's always been in power, because it's how he can, like, you know, claim back that control over mm. himself. Um, that how he very, wants to
1: see himself
0: exactly, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, okay, cool. Now we've got a relatable human character who's not just twirling a mustache.
1: Relatable um, but unreliable.
2: Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I think it started off with he's in the spirit of the truth to quote. <laughs> he, I think it was sort. Of, it could be sort of like two sides of the same coin, where it was Palpatine was brought this way. I mean, Plagueis pushed him, got him over that edge, and then at some point, Palpatine realize what was going on and then started playing the game back. I mean, I don't think he was doing it the whole time. There's no mm-hmm. way that he was doing this all time because he didn't know that Plagueis was a Sith at first until after. I mean, he didn't even recruit him until after he got him to kill his parents. Then he realized, oh, by the way, I'm a Sith, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to train you. And then literally that's when they jumped the 11 years. But at some point, I think Palpatine did become, He he turned the tables on him and said you know, this is what we're going to do now and I'm going to make it seem like you're doing it to me, but the end result is going to be me getting what I want. Right.
1: right.
0: And I think that that's in some ways, it feels like it's a very Sith kind of a story of you get so used to being in power and being in control that you kind of stop, you don't recognize when you're losing it. You know, and that's, Palpatine does that with Vader. Uh, play just did that with Palpatine. Like, I think that's very much a a part of how the Sith dynamic can often turn out. Exactly. Uh I think Sidious and Dooku, and Dooku were the two big ones I wanted to talk about, but there's a few other things to touch on. Um, Paul, do you have any other questions about Sidious or Brian, any other things from this book you wanted to mention? I'm good. Mm,
2: no, I think it just it pretty much strengthens the case that this guy was just evil. Yeah. <laughs> like that was okay. a, that was it.
1: <laughs> okay. So it's not like Dexter, basically, where, you know,
2: No, no.
1: He's not going around killing people that are bad. Like, it's like he clearly is up to no good. And there's some somewhat relatable how he got to that point. But like, still still not a good guy. There right? is not, not a like s- a certain point of view. No,
2: there's not a single redemption arc out there for Palpatine okay. whatsoever. Okay. And any okay. multiverse I'm, plane, whatever. I'm, he's no I'm good He's evil.
0: And I think a good way to actually better explain that um, is to transition to the next one I want to talk about, which is Naboo and the Trade Federation, because part of Sidious' rise comes in his role in the early sort of machinations that lead to Naboo and the Trade Federation, because... And again, the machinations go pretty deep. I don't want to go into all of it, but the base idea of it is to kind. It's kind of a story of colonial exploitation. That mm-hmm. Naboo is kind of a, you know, not a um, developing world, but it's it's a a small planet that has some eco- economic value. It's not super important, but it's discovered that it has this huge um, you know, na- set of natural resources of plasma that the world needs. So it's kind of like you know when the small country that no one cared about people discover gold or oil or right. uranium or whatever it is and so there's all this political machinations going back and forth over what should happen and there's a uh, a big faction saying like you know naboo for the nabooians like we don't want these outsiders coming in to colonialize us and to you know help us develop our natural resources while they get all the money right and palpatine's father is one of the ones who's most against the outsiders coming in oh. and, and Palpatine, like basically a big part of his early story is helping Plagueis who's with the banking clan, one of the people yeah. who wants to exploit Naboo, you know, so he basically, it, it it's not like he is sort of a, like the, the local leader who gets corrupted from the beginning. He's sort of like, Oh, okay. I can, I can use this as a, as a path to power to sell out my own planet and to, right. you know, use this to, to come to, to come to political glory. And, and if you like politics, especially, it's a very interesting story of how he sort of helps him and Plagueis together, like, play these different sides off against each other in a story of, like, how do you deal with colonial exploitation?
1: So how did, how did Sidious – I do have one more Sidious question. How did he end up being so racist, right? Because wasn't the, the Empire very, like, anti-non-human and, like, like, you know, speciesist?
2: No, it was definitely or, xenophobic, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they really don't get into that as much because it's. It almost have to imply because they they do talk about him with like Masamida is uh what's he a Chagrian and then slide, like all the people around him are not human pretty much except for his right. imperial dignitaries. Right, um, I think. The, they probably used that as more of a thing back uh, in the '70s when they had were making Star Wars and that because it was a lot easier yeah. to just have <laughs> humans around. <laughs> right, right, that's good.
0: <laughs> yeah. My, my my understanding of how this story went was that as 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 Brian said, like the Empire was all humans because that's what's easiest. Right. Eventually, in the early part of the Legends canon, they wrote in the story of the Empire being very like humans only yeah mm-hmm. and then kind of in later years they kind of let that aspect of the story drop
1: okay. and
0: it's why it ha- it isn't mentioned very often anymore and it, it just it's never mentioned in this uh i'm mean, certainly right. his he had he sees the gungans as subhuman but the um like he never feels negatively about um Plagueis for being non-human yeah. or anything like right. that is um, so the, if the anything mon- Plague, Plagueis himself is the Muns are probably more racist towards humans than then okay. Sidious and the and the humans are towards anybody else.
1: And they're different from the Trade Federation people? Yeah, yeah, those are, Nemo-
2: those are Nemoidians. Okay.
0: Yeah, they're the um uh, they only very briefly appear in the pre in the prequels, but they they appear somewhat in the Clone Wars. They're kind of bluish, um, very thin, like very long, thin faces. Their heads almost yeah, look
2: like no, they—they look like the Easter Island statues.
1: Right, right, yeah. yeah no, I, who I, I know who you're talking about. I just wanted to verify that they were different from the um, extremely racist portrayal of the Trade Federation. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, th- these
0: are more, like, Germanic than they are um, okay, Asiatic, okay. the way the... Um, right. uh, or, or Asian Trade Federation. Uh, yeah. An Asian racist, the way the Trade Federation <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I just thought that was a fun little part of the story as well, is to get a better idea of What's been happening with Naboo is that they it's just this back-and-forth discussion over um, uh, who, you know...
1: Resources. And yeah, first resources to,
0: there, and then and then the taxation of how the resources get in and out. And that's where right. the... Um, it, it, what the exact connection is between the taxation of the routes and how it connects to the colonial part of it isn't exact. It, it's kind of hand-waved a little it's bit, un- but
2: okay. we're fine it with had, that. It had more to do with the fact is that they had... The trade federation got pretty much the exclusive rights to get the plasma out of Naboo. And that's why they had, they had a presence there to begin with. And then later on in the story, when it was closer to the Phantom Menace time, uh, these trade routes were free. And so it was beneficial to uh the trade federation because they were pretty much getting a cut of the people using the routes because that's what the trade federation does but if they right. start taxing them then less people are going to use them because the taxes were going to go to the government because i forgot what it was if they were they were using it for something um they needed to get more money for i think for like the defense of uh some yeah, planet i think they sort a, of
0: start yeah you know, helping with one of the other problems that had come up um right it, it's definitely a situation where like they they kind of create a perfect storm of you know, Plagueis is just lighting these little fires all over the place that makes it too right. much for the public to take care of. The one other thing I think is a nice part about the way that part of the story plays out is sometimes it can be frustrating to tell a whole story and then realize at the end that there's someone like maniacally laughing and rubbing their hands, which means that everything that just happened played into their hands. And so it sort of doesn't matter. Yeah. One thing that made clear is like everything that happens in Phantom Menace isn't like, exactly as Sidious foresaw it. You know, oh, okay. he thought that Queen Amidala important. would just sign the treaty, and then he thought that right. she would, and there's kind of this great, like, set of back and forth of Plagueis and Sidious being like, oh, okay, well, the Federation fucked up that plan, let's do the next one. Let's do right. the next one. Oh, yeah, let's especially with, like, especially
2: with Belorum. like <laughs> right. you said, sending the Jedi to Naboo to broker the peace because of the, the invasion that's covered, the, the occupation. That wasn't part of their plan, so that's when, like, crap, how do we get decided yeah. so a lot of the stuff was you know they they worked their way around it but it was not all their grand plan was 100 percent effective right
0: and i just like that because it makes queen amidala and like what happens in the force awakens seem kind of a little bit more like okay this, this has some relevance it's not just the phantom everything. menace or, didn't that what i said did i say the force awakens you said yeah, the yeah, force yeah. Awakens i'm him. only i'm not <laughs> attempting to
1: correct i'm attempting to clarify well i guess yeah, no. correct, but like, like just so that yeah so we all know yep
2: no, I have
0: uh,
1: the, That you the... meant what we thought you meant,
2: but now <laughs> yes. we're certain. Listeners, there's nothing in this book that pertains to the, the, the sequels <laughs> at all. We're not quite there yet in any of yep. the storytelling. So, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly.
0: There's no grand unifying theory of that quite yet. Um, but yeah, so I think that gives us most of what's important about Naboo. I think that it, it is kind of fun to see a little bit more of the, the politics of Naboo and how all that happens. And there is also some extent to which, in part because they want her to be easily manipulated... Um, Sidious pulls some strings and creates a situation in which a 13 year old girl gets elected as queen. Because again, I think that was one of the, the some people were like, "Wait, this country elected a 13 year old girl as their queen? How, how does that happen?" So it is at least fun. I mean, s-
1: starting with electing a queen,
0: but well, also know. also a thing. But you know, yeah. like, they it, they
2: explain now it went from um, hierarchical to a position that stayed the same title, it, right. but it just became electorate. Yeah. yeah. You know.
0: There's just a lot but of little details like that We're like, okay, you know that thing that seems kind of dumb? Here's a kind of possible yeah. explanation Right, for right, it. right. Yeah, okay. There's a
2: lot of that in this book with the prequels where it says, yeah. okay, this is, okay, well, okay, I guess that explains that. Yep.
0: Um, The one other thing I think is interesting there is also that, Um, what was I going to say? I was thinking about the the Trade Federation, the Imodians, um.
2: I mean, they're just as dumb in this book as they are in the yeah. the, the, the prequels. <laughs> okay. They're just so, you know, they want so much power and stuff that New Gunray and those guys are just like, yeah, whatever. Like, they're suspicious, but they never right. once think that, okay, if this is this is going to help us, let's do it. Yeah.
0: Oh, I remember. Right. The one thing I wanted to point out as well is that, because, again, something is talked about from the book is like, well, if the Sith are supposed to be hiding for so long, why does Maul just, you know, break out the red lightsaber all of a sudden? And it actually, Plagueis and Sidious had talked quite a while about this is the moment when we'll finally sort of like reveal ourselves. Um, okay. and that That's very intentional, which is another yeah. thing that I really appreciate and really, really liked. And in Phantom Menace, they meant like Darth Maul says, like, finally, we'll reveal ourselves. But it's yeah. nice to see, like, why is this moment so important to them and why does it matter?
1: Right, that's he's gone a, a long time without in the shadows, basically. Right, yes. and that's a that's a how that's, a, that's
2: a cool part of this book too, because they actually go into that whole balcony scene because Darth Plagueis is eavesdropping on him. When he hears that, he's sort of just going like, "What? What? Wait a second! What's going yeah. on here?" <laughs> like he feels like he's being betrayed, but he's like, no, not, "At the end of the day, it's going to help our you know, it's going to help our plan come to you know fruition." But really, he's his downfall is coming within a day or so. Right.
0: Um, so I think we have, we have, there are two other things I want to talk about that got revealed about in this book, and the, and the next is the dark side itself. And we've talked some about it, but Brian, what do you feel like we learn about the dark side and and just and the Sith and how they function in this larger galaxy from this book?
2: Uh, I'd say function is a loose word to use as far as how <laughs> the Sith work because, like I said, they, it, it always just seems like... Uh, when you're bickering with someone like your brother and you do something that he wanted done anyway, but it wasn't the way he did it, he'll still find fault with, you know, the way it got done because it wasn't his idea. So there's a lot of that going on where it's just, yeah, you you feed off of the negativity and the, and the, just the, it's, it's kind of weird because they're those Plagueis and Sidious seem like a really odd couple because they have such different, like end goals it seems. I mean Plagueis is basically a man of science. He wants to live forever and Sidious wants to, you know, change the way the galaxy is run and basically, you know, wipe the slate clean. But since they're both Sith, there's they're the ones that are able to uh, you know, manipulate it and do the stuff. But as far as like the the Sith go, it's it basically just shows that they do what needs to be done. Regardless of the cost, as long as it, you know, propels their agenda going, which we pretty much knew about them already. Yeah.
0: I, I think I think more than anything for me it, it breaks this idea of that it's all one sort of unified plan and that you know, stretching right. back to bane that they always have the same idea, and that it's right. that it's individuals, and that it's the whole point is like be ruled by your passions. And so every master is gonna be different and every master's gonna have different passions and especially because you know a big part of it is that play just does have this near-death experience where he almost gets killed by assassins and he really hides he turns he kind of turns inward and just kind of becomes a recluse really focusing now on his experiments with the force and his ability to use the force to both prolong life and to create life there's this whole like he really delves into this idea of the force kind of pushing back on things and it's an idea that I kind of wish was explored more and we but it's this idea that idea of the, the flip side of qui-gon jinn with the living force that there's a lot of times where he talks about like i did this thing did this terrible thing now happen because it was the force pushing back or the force saying it's not time yet or that, that it is ready um paradox exactly yeah par- right. the paradox from Ma- mage the ascension is very much the idea <laughs> um there's a moment in the books where Plagueis very much believes, and sidious does too that they basically have done this kind of mystical ritual that has pushed the balance of the force over to the dark side. And I think the implication is here. And it's all done very vaguely, but that it's about the moment where they've sort of put the energy out into the world that creates Anakin. Um and so there's also the whole question of how did like some point someone's going to tell me the story of the prophecy to some satisfaction, because it still has never been done and this book doesn't do it. But it's one more (laughs) interesting like (laughs) one more part of the whole like what is this Prophecy all about.
2: Yeah, right. the doesn't balance usually mean two sides equal to each other. In <laughs> the prophecy right. of the Force, is all Jedi no Sith. That's not balance. Yeah. <laughs> That's really lopsided. Right, right,
1: right, yeah. Balance. It's like well, if there's supposed to be two Sith, right. and you're going for balance, and there's like a bunch of you. This doesn't sound like a good deal no. for you.
0: I mean, <laughs> if there'd always been ten thousand Jedi, well, at least for the thousand last thousand years, if there'd been a thousand Jedi and two Sith. Yeah. And now there's two Sith and, like, Yoda and Obi-Wan. Then we're kind of balanced again. That's, like, exactly. two and two, Yeah, so he know? did bring his... Exactly.
2: Head.
1: There was balance.
0: <laughs>
2: so, so Palpatine brought a, balance. For a hot minute. But, like, you brought up, too, with that whole thing with, with, with the manipulation when they put it out. That's where, later on, when Anakin is introduced to Palpatine and he does the time frame in his mind and he's like, oh, crap. That was right. about that time. But it's one of two things. A... Yes, that was their byproduct of what they did, or B, the force recognized that and kicked it back and said, "No, we're going to do this." Right. So it's sort of just like it, it, it's one of those. You know, it's 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 one or the other. It has to be because they pretty much have already explained that it was an immaculate conception. So unless yeah. she, unless she's <laughs> just lying and. You know, at the end it was just all coincidence.
1: Yeah. I mean, this would also, though, make Anakin effectively sort of Palpatine's kid, which then makes Ben Solo and, and Ray <laughs> cousins. So, you know, that keeps yeah, it the Star Wars yeah. theme.
0: Well, yeah. it's, it's definitely <laughs> well, why yeah. like, I like I think a lot of people have taken the idea from this that Plagueis basically impregnates um, uh, Anakin's mother. And taking it in a very dark direction of, like, that it's basically, like, a forcible, you know, impregnation with all the sort of connotations that has, all of which I think are horrific.
2: <laughs> which I, are bad. Yeah. I mean, I, it's basically a force rape.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's... I, and I think I think there's a way to read the book that way. I think it is intentionally a lot more subtle than that. Like, yeah. And certainly... Or vague. They, yeah. Like,
1: un- uncertain, right? It, it sounds uncertain. It's
0: uncertain, and it's also a couple of steps removed. Because... Okay definitely there's no implication that anyone was like okay that person on tatooine we're gonna like wave our magic wands and make her pregnant right. um it's it's much more this sort of like putting out a force into the universe and I, I think what brian is saying is what i think the books more kind of imply is that it's more that because they did so much to sort of cause there to be this emblematicness of dark force energy in the world that mm-hmm. then the force was like okay well we need some balance Hey, you! You're gonna carry this child, um, which is itself also still horribly oh, problematic and broken. Just, um, you know. why? Why? It's someone else causing the force rape. Um, no. It makes it
2: makes the more sense with the second part because they did dig in a couple of times when they were talking with the cloners saying that no matter what they did, you can't replicate or introduce the 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 the, the, the force sensitivity. Right. In anything, so if that was the case, that unless something was the freak of freakin' nature, when they did it, it would have had to have been the force saying, "No, see, you guys can't do this. We can do it, but you you can't create life for the with the force. The force can only do that. Right. But then again, it's still that everything. It's it's like watching the movie Donnie Darko. You have no idea what's heads up to your you know your own yeah. interpretation. <laughs>
0: Yeah, at this point, we get very much into how many how many Force Angels can dance on the head of a pin, you know, and it gets pretty confusing. I,
1: I definitely feel like the less I know about the Force, the more interesting I find it.
0: That's very And legitimate. the more
1: <laughs> the more like explanation is offered, kind mm-hmm. of the more I'm like,
0: yeah. But <laughs> I forget what it is. But there's one, um, there's one version of a story that I've seen. I I think it might be somewhere in canon, but it most it may well be from Legends or just like head canon stuff that's been created but it's basically the idea of like that part of the fall of the jedi is when they they lose the mysticism of the force and start thinking they can like scientifically quantify the force and Mm -hmm. that like yes there are these things called midichlorians but they don't really matter and that part of the jedi mistake was becoming too into the like oh look we understand the force it's the science instead of remembering it's this unspeakable mystery that's supposed to be beyond comprehension um and I really yeah. like that. Which, the same reason you're talking about Paul, because it's like if if the force becomes something that is like quantifiable, then it yeah. now it's a role playing mechanic. It's not a mystery that drives uh, an epic story,
1: right? I mean, like in real life, I'm I'm not really all that interested in the idea that there are unquantifiable, unknowable things, or that we can know that something is unquantifiable and unknowable. Mm-hmm. But like within the context of the story, I find that efforts to quantify it or to, to not make it like these people are trying to have this understanding of this, but you know, as a, as a storyteller, I'm not going to necessarily tell you whether they're right or not to like go to like a very brief uh, vampire, the masquerade reference, you know, the idea that all these vampires come from Cain uh, never really appealed to me. The idea that all these vampires think they came from Cain, I right. thought was very interesting. Yeah. But like leaving that in some sort of mystery and being like, well, this is the mythology, you know, here's the mythology of the force and we know that people can do these things using it, but there's still some element of mystery. And you can kind of headcanon it whichever way you want. I find a lot more appealing. I mean, in general, just, I find stories that ask questions a little more appealing than ones that are like, this is the answer. I mean some mm-hmm. answer's cool, but mm-hmm. leaving some room for interpretation. Um I and it sounds like they did that to some extent, which which I think sounds very cool.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair way to put it. I think it, it really introduces the idea of it being an unreliable narrator. You know, instead mm-hmm. of the Qui-Gon Jin like, you know, giving um Anakin a shot, lying to him by the way, about why he does it. Don't lie to kids, Qui-Gon. Not cool. <laughs> um but like and being like, oh, he has midichlorians, blah, blah, blah. Like, reintroducing the idea of, like, that's just what we humans understand. Like, there's a whole mystery there that's beyond it. Um, I I understand why for you, there's no interest in the, the religious side of it. For me, a, as a person of faith, it, that really does speak to me. Because I,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, basically to me, like, what it's kind of saying is, like, the Jedi become fundamentalists. You know, it's the right. idea of like you can quantify God. You can you can say like God exists in this building and not that building, or by these magic words mm-hmm. and not that magic words. Every religion has like most religions can have some element of that like fundamentalist nature, and and the more temporal power a religion has, I think often it can go that direction. And so I think the idea that the Jedi do it too just it makes total sense. So, yeah, yeah
1: I, I, I I like that as the Jedi being a religion and being recognized as that within the world. Basically. Exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah, it just makes for more interesting storytelling, and it it once again I think it cleans up part of the prequels in a way that I really like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A part of the prequels. Yes, it. <laughs> nothing will fix Sand. That there is no there is no <laughs> amount of head that will ever. Oh, actually no. I'll, I'll put that. I'll put that out here, fans if you oh, yeah. i i am willing to read these short stories if you can read if you can write a short story that gives the backstory and helps me understand why i hate sand works as a line in that context i will bring you on this podcast to have you read that pot that story and like give you mass adulation and give you some free merchandise <laughs> i'm putting out that challenge if you can make it happen do it um I can't imagine how many bad short stories I'm about to read, but hopefully, you know, still, it's great user interaction. And I'm wrong. Maybe you all are great writers. Maybe there's a way to do it. I think even a great writer can't do it, but I'm putting the challenge out there. Um,
1: I, I do think it's almost worth it, though, for the, the Ray and Anakin meme where they both are complaining about sand. I think I think that was pretty good. Generally, things are, that are unsalvageable are only salvageable by memes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I do think it's a good time to start wrapping up. Brian, do you have any other kind of last comments or thoughts about the book you wanted to bring up?
2: Um, Just in – oh, so there was one thing, which actually I forgot about until I read it this time, where they were talking at the end, and they were there was a bunch of Jedi, and they brought up the Jedi Master Jorah Sabaoth, mm-hmm who is the main bad guy in the air to the... His clone yes. is the main bad guy into the into the original Thrawn novels. I'm like, oh, I totally forgot just, he was in this book. Yeah, that's just a fun little so name drop. It like, it's
0: not relevant to anything, but it's a fun little Easter egg for a character in another set of novels we'll definitely be talking about at some point soon.
2: Right. But besides that, I hope they don't do anything deliberately to knock this out of being what actually happened, because I think it it works for this time period. Yeah. So, you know... I think... If you're listening, Disney, don't fuck with it.
0: <laughs> I think that's true. And I, <laughs> I imagine that we probably, it's a period of time that they're not planning to explore anytime soon. So I don't feel like there's any need why they would have to. The um, The High Republic books are going to end with a show called The Acolyte, which is set, mm-hmm. it, it's a basically about a new Sith person coming along around about the time of Darth Tenebrous, would would maybe have been because I think I think that is going to be set maybe about thirty years before this book starts. So
2: exactly, yeah, because they would say about hundred BBY and this book starts right. at sixty seven BBY, so that's about thirty. So it years. might be
0: fun if, like, in the last season of that, we meet Plagius or something like that. Like, if there's some connection there, but I don't, or even Tenebrous, but I don't think we're going to get anything beyond that, and I'm I'm fine with that. I'm happy to let this. The just one be thing available. in my head
2: though is that both Tenebrous and Venomous are Bith Sith and if you know what a bith is those are the the modal nodes the 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 band players from uh, the Moss Eisley Cantina oh yeah so if you imagine seeing that as a they're not very menacing looking <laughs> other than their big black eyes but it, it, those are the sith lords yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of like it, i guess it would be imagined like seeing like uh like Mieber Gascon from the clone wars as being a <laughs> sith lord this little like one foot tall amphibian looking hey, thing. Hey, listen, anyone
0: can be scary. You know, <laughs> but, you can make it happen. Oh uh, Paul, thank you yeah, so much I, for being our kind of you know man on the street for this episode. Um any other last questions you have or or just kind of what what are your thoughts on after all you've heard about this?
1: It's pronounced agent of chaos. <laughs> um, chaos agent. <laughs> no, it was it was fun. I was I was happy to join and kind of ask the questions so other people don't have to. Um although they can still ask questions. Lots of questions. I'm sure there's lots of questions people <laughs> still have. So uh we love nothing more than conversation or something I don't know you love conversation yeah. <laughs> I don't I mean I like conversation with a small number of people, so like you know you do all those tweeting and Facebook exactly things. um but yeah, it was a lot of fun um you know i was I was happy to uh, ask some questions and get some answers and you know um we'll see you next cool. time well,
0: uh Paul is apparently being not only our um agent of chaos but also our resident misanthrope. Or <laughs> also our resident misanthrope. <laughs> yes. um, but Paul, on those few times when you do want to talk to people, you are pretty responsive. So if people want to find more of your writings or, or thoughts on the internet, where can they find those?
1: Uh, Yeah, zenmadman.com, at Twitch, at Twitter, at whatever other social medias I haven't mm-hmm. quit yet.
0: Awesome, awesome. And uh, yourself, Brian, if people want to find... um, I know you you talk about uh Star Wars and a couple other places as well as other great things. Where can people mm-hmm. find more of your stuff?
2: Um, I'm part of the, I got a podcast on the Rebel Force Radio Network called the Babu Freaks. We just released our ninth episode yesterday. And um, we talk about Star Wars and stuff. I'm one of the moderators on the Stranded Panda chat board. So uh, I'm there a lot. So we talk about everything there anyway. So it's a good conversation. It's a good place to to go to talk about Definitely.
0: it. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely check out uh, Brian and Paul's work. They do a lot of other great stuff. Uh, as Brian mentioned, um, this pod- Brian mentioned the Stranded Panda Chat, this podcast is a proud part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. There you can find other podcasts about uh, ethical discussions, also deep dives into other universes like Star Trek, the MCU, DC, all sorts of great stuff. Um, definitely check those out. Definitely join in the conversations. And the other thing is, um, if you want to support this podcast, I've recently launched or relaunched our Patreon. You can find it as, um, if you go to Patreon, um, if you search for The Ethical Panda, you should find it. But the best way is if you go to my website, TheEthicalPanda.com, and click on support, there will be the link for uh, our Patreon. Uh, any, any support you can give is great. It's going to help make this episode, help make us, help make this podcast happen, as well as you can get things like, um, advertiser free, uh, you, you can get, uh, copies of the podcasts without any advertisements directly. Uh, at a certain level, you can get outtakes, which, among other things, you'll hear all the different ways I say the wrong thing. Because uh, I'm very known for, <laughs> you know, I know exactly what I'm talking about, but I'll call the movie by the wrong name. That's but, worth your
2: patron is right. Exactly, there. you
0: know. Um, <laughs> listen, Bob. Uh, you know, I just I get. Like,
1: is it Plagus or Plagis? I actually looked it up,
2: but it's if you remember, it's like the plague in the movie. He's like Plagueis. the He's like yeah. it's like the plague. Yeah, Plages. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, it can be Plagueis, it or be Plages. <laughs> Um, all that stuff. And even at the highest levels of Patreon support, you can get free merchandise or even the chance to help us design an episode. So definitely, uh, go to patreon.com, drop us some support, go to strainofpanda.com, support all the other, all the other great podcasts. Let us know what you think and have a great day.